So we are in our series called Wisdom in Everyday Life, and here's what wisdom does. Wisdom enters into, listen, 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 wisdom enters into the complexities of life. So you're going through something in your life, you're going through something difficult, whatever it might be, you go to the Bible. Like, how do I handle this? And you don't get a clear answer. That is when wisdom speaks. And today, today we're entering into the complexities of pain and suffering and God's love and God's discipline, you might even say. Maybe you might call it God's severe love. Now, if you don't have wisdom, here's what ends up happening. You say, okay, I'm suffering right now. I'm going through something difficult. This, it must mean this. Either God doesn't love me, it must mean maybe God's punishing me, or maybe it might mean that there isn't even a God. And those answers, to search for an answer like that, it's far too complex. It takes time to know what God is up to, to know what is happening. And our, see, how do you reconcile the love of God, suffering, pain, and loss, and all these promises of God? So as you know, uh, many of you know, our son Cruz has been diagnosed with autoimmune encephalitis. And uh, this has been, by far, the most difficult thing that we have ever, ever gone through. The unknown of what's happening, the unknown of what it's going to do to him. Um, completely different kid now than he was a year ago. Uh, but through this, through this, there has been something where God's love and his mercy and his peace has found its way in. So here's, I've, I've struggled to articulate the words of what it feels, all of this feels like, God's love and the suffering. And so here's how, here's my attempt at it. Um, what's, what's been happening, it sucks. And I absolutely hate it. Yet there's something else to it. Where there is this peace that is fighting its way through. There's this peace that is trying to break through or is breaking through. And there's a comfort that we have experienced where we feel like we are in the arms of God. And there's a joy that's bubbling. You know when like bubbles are coming up out of the water? Like a joy just feels like it's bubbling up that way. And likely, there's going to come a day when all of this passes, when Cruz recovers, and the pain and suffering is gone. And do you know what's going to remain? This deep, unmovable, steadfast peace that has come in the midst of this, in this immovable joy that has come, in this comfort that has come from 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 it all. And so when the pain and the suffering and the loss have been wiped away and they're gone, the peace remains. And that is the promise that we're hearing today. Now, there's no way around it. God has allowed us to walk through what we're walking through. There's no way around that. That is a reality. But through it, we become more and more of who God has made us to become. 
So wisdom speaks into your pain and suffering. Wisdom speaks into your difficulties in such a way that as you come out of it, you are changed more into who you're made to be. When you turn to God, that's the key, when you turn to God. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at three different collections of Proverbs about pain and the suffering and God's love and God's discipline and how to make sense of it all. So first collection, uh, Proverbs 3, 1 through, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. Now you have to listen closely because it's not on the screen and you don't have anything printed out, so just listen really close. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs twenty thirty, Blows that wound, cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> Proverbs has a way of just calling people stupid, and it's like, it's okay. Somehow, this book of wisdom gets away with it. Now, the word discipline and the word disciple are woven together. So if you are following someone, if you're like a disciple of someone, you're following them, you're listening to them, you're learning from them, and you're being corrected by them. Now, we don't like the way that sounds. Unless, of course, we're thinking about a relationship between a parent and a child, and we say, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, look at the way the wise teachers talk about our relationship with God, that he is a father who loves us, and we are his children. It means that his love drives him to discipline you. Now, I got a question for you, because you're even like, eh, I got a question for you. If you have a young kid, who causes the most pain in your child's life? You do. Young, don't look at your mom, there's young kids. Uh, if, if you have children... You are causing them the worst pain of anybody. I mean, assuming that they're, everything, they're safe and everything's taken care of, you're causing them the worst pain. Now, why do you do this? Why would you do this to them? Because you love them. Because you're correcting them. Now, you should hear Kale, our middle child. He's being a middle child right now. And uh, when we tell him, when, I, when he does something wrong, I take away his Paw Patrol toys. Or he does something wrong, I'm like, you go to timeout. The kid drops to his knees, like, why are you doing this to me? And he is weeping. I mean, there's like a deep weep happening. Now, we see that and we're like, ah, this kid's overreacting. But listen, for him, it's very real. The pain is very real for him. And if you have a child and that's happening, you're the one doing it to them. Why? Because you know that if they don't change what they're doing... They're going to come out far worse, and they're not going to have a happy life. You're doing this to them because you love them. Your kids think you're doing something horrible to them, and often here's what we do. We mistake God's love for rejection. What we really want is God to be like a grandparent to us. So well, parents out of love discipline their kids. Grandparents out of love spoil they're grandkids. They have always have sugar. They're always ready to do whatever the little one tells them to. That's what we want. 
But God is not a grandparent. He's a father. That's what it's saying here. Now, if a parent is not around to raise their kids and there's good grandparents, those good grandparents should jump in and they assume the role of parent and they discipline them because out of love they know that that's the best thing that their grandchild needs from them. Love will not allow us to act a fool. Now, a reasonable question to ask is this. This is a reasonable question. Where's the pain coming from that we're experiencing? Who's causing the pain? Well, this is very complex. So, it's very hard to differentiate between God's discipline, between being in a world that has fallen where horrible things are happening, and differentiate between when you just do something that what Proverbs would call stupid, and here's the results of it. So it's hard to differentiate it, but the most comforting thing to know is that you have a God who is loving you like a parent through whatever it is. So sometimes God's going to discipline you so that you become more of who you're made to be. And sometimes the world, this broken world, will hurt you, and God will make it in such a way he will because he loves you, he will make it so that you come out molded and more like gold. Or maybe you make a bad decision, and he's using that bad decision that you have made to change you, to reorient your thinking, but also to reorient your heart. That's the beauty of this. We, look, you're likely not going to know the answer. Maybe she disagreed with me. I don't know. But you're likely not going to know the answer. But it doesn't matter. God will not leave you the way that you are. He loves you too much to do that. So, Kale says to me, Daddy, why do you always do that to me? Why, why don't you ever let me do this? What he's trying to say is, just let me do whatever I want but I love him too much to let him do that. Now, oftentimes, when we want God to stop disciplining us, you know what we're asking? God, love me less, please. Just be okay, like, with this. Like, just stop it. Stop loving me like this. So you think about it like this. You are God's divine work. Uh, humanity is God's special work, and that means... God will not be finished with you until you are as you are meant to become. If he cared nothing for you, he just, scri- I mean, you are his divine work. So if he cared nothing for you, he'd just scribble you out, be done, and say, okay, done. But he cares too much. You are his. You think about an artist. The artist has their life's work. That is what you are to God. The artist has their grand painting, the painting of all painting, the canvases of all canvases. That's what you are to God. Now, maybe you say, well, okay, fine, but if God is perfect, can't he just go ahead and make me into the way I'm supposed to be now? Well, here, you don't understand this. You're a living, breathing canvas. You're not a robot. So here's what God does. He starts molding you, and you're doing it together, and he's always the one that's changing you to become who you're made to be, but you're kind of fighting him on it. And so he's painting you, and then you do something, like to yourself, like you just, you're... You do it as a canvas. And he sees it, and he says, I will not leave you like this. And so he scrapes off 
the painting. He scrapes off the paint. He pulls it and he tears it so that he might fix and redo what has been done. Do you see that? Now, you are meant, God is committed to making you into his masterpiece. And you are meant to walk. Listen, you are meant to walk the grand hall of heaven as God's magnum opus as his masterpiece and he will not settle until you have become that whenever you see here's the thing whenever you want God to stop doing this to you you know what you're asking him make me into something less wonderful make me into something less glorious make me into something less beautiful something less courageous because I can't take it anymore You're not asking him to love you more. You're asking him to love you less, and he will not do it. The opposite of love is not hatred. It is indifference. You know that. The opposite of love is not hated. It is indifference, and God will not be indifferent to you. That's why chapter 12, verse 1 says, if you don't want to be disciplined or corrected, then you are a stupid fool. Because what you're asking God to do is love you less. Make me into something less glorious. We're really like four-year-olds to God. And we're asking him to leave us alone and just let us live how we want to live. But God will not let you become something less glorious. Is it hard to welcome that? Yeah. Does it suck? Yeah. But then at the same time, we're called to want it. Do you see how complex this is? God, make me into something glorious. Well, do you know what you're asking for? Well, God says, here's is what you're asking for, but you need to want it. It's like, well, it's just this pull and this struggle to want what God wants, yet to know that it's going to maybe hurt a bit to become who you're made to become. By the way, We've been saying that wisdom, as we're going through the series, wisdom will give you success in life. Now, wisdom doesn't guarantee you success in life, but you can't have success in life without wisdom. But you know what something else wisdom says? If you get success before you are enough molded into who you're made to be, that success will actually ruin you. Watch this. Chapter 10, verse 16. Essentially says, if you aren't enough of who you're made to be, Success is going to destroy you. Romans 1. What we see there is that the worst thing that can happen to us is God could give us over to our desires. He could say, okay, that's what you want. Here, have it all. We are desiring things that are not good for us, and God is rescuing us from those desires. And listen to this. C.S. Lewis says... God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God wants your attention so that you will turn, listen, so that you will turn to him. And we aren't listening. You're turning away. 
turning a deaf ear to him. And so he begins to shout. So that, what? Out of love, he's shouting. So you will turn back to him. And that's our great, that's humanity's great problem, is we aren't turned to God. Here's our second collection. It's just one proverb, so I don't, it's not really a collection, but Proverbs 123. If you turn at my reproof, behold, if you turn at my reproof, my correction, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is saying, as God's disciplining us, we're turning to him. Or as, as we're walking through suffering in this world, we turn back to God. Or as we've done something foolish, we turn back to God. And then he says what? I'm going to pour my spirit on you. And then he says, I'll make my words known to you. In other words, finally, once you've turned to God in the midst of what you're walking through, finally, the Bible starts actually making sense. Finally, the words are coming to life. They're dancing on the pages, and you say, oh, why have I not been reading this my whole life? Well, because now you're finally turning to God in the midst of your struggles, and everything is becoming so real. These words on the page are becoming like, this is, this is my life. Like, I, I need this to live. And so what does it mean then when it says that he's going to pour his spirit upon us? Well, in Galatians... It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, meaning love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Okay, so think back. Pour Spirit upon us. We'll think back. Okay, in the struggle, peace is breaking through. It's fighting its way through. Comfort of God. The joy is bubbling up. That's what it means. He's going to pour a Spirit upon us, meaning in the midst of our struggle, we turn to God. He pours a Spirit upon us and Peace begins to fight its way through. Joy begins to bubble up so that after the suffering and the pain are gone, the steadfast, unmovable love and peace and joy that comes from God remains. It's attached to you. It's not going anywhere. The key here to understand you are designed for God. You are designed to be with God. And pain is telling you there is something wrong. Either you're turned away from God or you're walking through a world that has fallen away from God. But either way, it's telling you that something is wrong. And even if you're already walking close with God and suffering comes, God's pulling you in closer. Man, they're having fun in there. You know, like we're talking about suffering here. I want to get there. And as all of this happens, you begin to be transformed more and more and more into who you're made to be. And something that's so misunderstood about Christianity, mostly by Christians, is this. Typically, Christians will say, oh, I become Christian by faith in a discovery of God, and then I'm going to grow by trying harder. That sounds so boring, by the way. I'm going to grow by trying harder. <laughs> you grow by faith. You grow by a richer discovery of God. 
It's supposed to be an exciting journey of discovering God more and more. That's what your growth is supposed to be like. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 says, is saying, chapters 3 and chapter 4 is saying, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. I'm going to say that again. As we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. That's the formula for your transformation. You walk through difficulties. You turn to God. You see the magnificence of Him, and you see the love He has for you and what He's willing to do to get you and make you His own, and you become, you, you get in awe of Him, and then you're transformed because you're staring at Him. You're staring at Him in wonder. You're staring at His glory, and then His glory is changing you. That's why in James 1, it says, Rejoice in your suffering, because through the suffering, you're going to be changed. Through it, you're going to come out with a deeper love for God and others. You're going to come out with more peace, with more joy that's immovable. You walk through it. I mean, when you turn to God and you walk through it, and you're turning to God through it, you become a much stronger friend. You become a relentlessly loving spouse. You become a courageous leader. In fact, your hardships are preparing you for success, and if the success comes before the hardships, likely it's going to lead to your ruin, unless somehow you are granted some divine wisdom from God. In The Lord of the Rings, the hobbits. So the hobbits are called out on this journey to go and essentially save the world. They didn't know what they were getting into, but they're go and save the world. And so they go out and they save the world. But along the way, they endure suffering and loss and pain. But once they've gotten through it, they return back to their home, back to their village. And they're greater leaders for going through what they went through because they were changed. Why? Because they understood the value of life. They learned to find peace in the midst of a world that is in great despair, hope in a world that is in great despair. And so when they returned back to their homes, they didn't get caught up in the meaningless gossip, but they saw the important parts of life, and they focused in on that. They didn't see the uselessness that people got into, but they focused in on loving others well. And it cost them much to become this, but they did. Because of what they walked through. Because of where their hope came from. But it has to be your suffering that drives you to God. It has to drive you to God. So when your, kid, your kids are in trouble, they're in timeout, and you put them there, it's the end of the world for them, right? So uh, then you say, okay, you're done with timeout, but you've got to come and say sorry. Huh. This is even harder for them. So they finally mosey their way over and they come to you and then, you know, pull them in your arms. 
and they finally like they're mustering it up like and they're not even saying it you're like no you got to say it for real and they finally say it and then you tell them I want you to know I love you and there's nothing that you can do or not do that's going to make me love you any more or any less and you tell them that until they're believing it and they're beginning to smile again and once they catch it then you say okay you got to change now you can't keep doing what you're doing now, I want you to see the difference here because in one sense, you can completely motivate them out of fear of punishment or you can send them out motivated by the love that you have for them. The love that you have for them is a far stronger and deeper motivator for them to live in a new way than fear of being hurt, fear of punishment, fear of timeout, whatever it is. Love caused you to discipline them, love drew them back into you, and then love sends them out changed. In Romans, it says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance means change. It means turning, making a change, being different, turning towards God. So it's the kindness of God that draws you in. And His kindness draws you in in the midst of your difficulties. But He won't leave you as you are. He sends you out changed. In the very beginning of the Bible, there's a place where we're said we are made in the image of God. And we've fallen from that. But here's what happens. So we turn to God. Now, when you're called the image of God, that literally means you are like a living, breathing mirror. So picture yourself as a living, breathing mirror. Now, what defines a mirror Whatever's standing in front of the mirror. Whatever's in front of the mirror defines the mirror. So you, as a mirror, once you turn to God, you begin to now reflect Him. And then He, the divine artist, begins to etch out you to be made back into His image because He's staring at Himself as He's staring at you because you're facing Him as this mirror and He etches you out back into the way that you are made to be made to be, the way you're made to become, the version of you that's in heaven, he begins to start that process. So the great question for you, for all of us, is will we turn to God in the suffering and in the pain, or will we turn away from him? And it can go either way. This is our last collection of Proverbs Proverbs 5, 12, 13, and 14. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Proverbs 10, 25. When the tempest passes, meaning the storm, meaning the pain, meaning the difficulties, when it passes, the wicked is no more but the righteous is established forever. Here's what wisdom is saying. The tempest is going to come. It doesn't say if it passes. It says when it passes. And as it passes, if you will go to him in the midst of it, he will establish you forever. And you will then have this peace that's unmovable and this joy that bubbles up even in the midst of whatever you're walking through and when you come out of it it remains while the suffering is gone but if you don't turn to him 
and the tempest comes, the storm comes, here's what happens. You're wiped away with the storm. That's what wisdom is saying here. It means your suffering is either going to make you or it's going to break you. And it will, if you go to God and turn to Him, He makes you. If you turn away, the suffering breaks you. And it makes sense. Think of it like this. You're the canvas. You're the masterpiece that God is working on. And the suffering comes. And the suffering, the, the paint is being ripped off. It's being torn apart. But if God, if you are not turned to God, who is going to remake you? Who's going to paint you back? Who's going to put you back together again? We're like Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall. By the way, nursery rhymes for kids, like back in the day, are terrifying. You know, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Basically, nobody could put him back together. Again, story ends. <laughs> what, what were people teaching, like, back? I don't know. Anyways, you know who, who puts Humpty back together? God. God's the only hope for Humpty. <laughs> Look, we're living, breathing mirrors, and we turn to him. And as we turn to him, we reflect him, and he begins to paint, to make us back into the image of God. But if you don't turn to him, where are you going to get your identity from? What's defining you? You're lost, looking for something, to, to, looking for something that will give you the identity that you long for, but nothing will paint you the way he will. He's the divine artist. He makes you fully alive because he's a loving father. Now the question is this. Why is it that we have to turn to him? Why is it that he is the one who changes us? Why is it that suffering only will change us if we go to him? Because only he can redeem your suffering. He has made it so. If you turn to him, all the pain, suffering, and loss will only make you more beautiful, more wonderful, more courageous, and more glorious. See, pain and suffering and loss, do you know what they are? Pain, suffering, and loss are minions of death. Pain, suffering, and loss are shadows of death. They're hints of death. And so here's what Jesus does. He goes into death on the cross and lives. This is the divine plan of God. This is how he paints. He goes into death, and he begins to paint life, and he breaks up out of it. So now, now the hints of life come into those hints of death, and they begin to reorient you so that now he paints you to become more fully alive, more courageous, more wonderful, more glorious. And listen to me, listen to me here. When doubt sets in, because it's going to come, so when you're suffering, when you're in pain, when you're feeling loss, and you begin to wonder, ah, how could God bring anything good out of this? Here's what you remember. Nobody, nobody looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and says, Oh, this is a good thing. 
for his followers, it was the absolute worst thing that could happen. He was, in their mind, the great hope, and they thought nothing good is going to come out of this. Yet it was through the cross that the greatest good in all the cosmos came about. So when you're walking through your pain and suffering and you say, there's no way God could be doing anything good here, remember the cross. And if you will do that, even in that moment, he will begin to paint heaven upon you. And if you do that, the version of you that's in heaven, he begins to paint you into more and more and more. But you've got to go to him. The best way, the best way for us to go to God is through communion. Now, what is communion? Well, it's the painting. It's the divine story. It's the divine painting. Well, what's happening here? Well, God, in, it, it, this is the divine drama of God entering into death, of him being broken so that he can heal you, of him entering into the suffering so he can take your suffering and reorient it so that it actually will only give you more life. So I'm just going to pray for us right now. Um, and My prayer is that God would open your eyes so that as you eat and as you drink, you're just, I get it. You know, when I talked about the words like dancing on the pages. When you say, oh my gosh, how did I miss this before? My hope is that as you're taking communion, you say, ah, how did I miss this before? Okay, so let me pray, and then we'll go through this. Um, Father, we ask now that you would come and send your spirit, you would pour your spirit upon us so that we might experience the love and the joy and peace that comes as we take hold of you. God, don't hold back from us. Help us to be courageous and want you to love us more but not less. God, we pray that you would reveal it to us now. That there would be some work of you that is unexpected by us. God, I pray that if we're just passing through today, not ready to meet you, if we're distracted from you, God, I pray right now that you would take away those distractions and that you would come to us so that we might behold your glory, we might see you face to face, we behold your beauty and then be changed by you so that we might be more courageous, more loving, and we might be changed to be more glorious. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.